I, I do like the creepiness of Arthur because of course sneaks, you do. Of course you do. <laughs> it sneaks up on you. He doesn't, you know, and, and it's sort of like, he seems sort of hapless at first and he is, he's both hapless and he's, he's only, really he's creepy. only, he's only hapless at the beginning. The minute he comes to the main dude's like apartment, you're in creep factor 1000. A perfect day Drink sangria in the park And later When it gets dark We go home Just a perfect day Feed animals in the zoo Then later A movie too And then You remember how we bonded at Cannes, Robin? It was a dark and stormy night. I'm pretty sure it was sunny. And I had a flat tire. No one had a flat tire. We, we were traveling together in a cab. And I knocked on your house for help and you... Whoa, whoa. That's the opening of this week's comic, Ultrasound, by Connor Stecholti. I'm pretty sure that's how we met, though. No, that's what we're reviewing tonight. Well, that should be easy, then. I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And we're two guys who bonded over a shared love of comics. I'm pretty sure we met at a wedding. Okay, so Ultrasound is a strange one. It was made into a movie that came out in 2021 that honestly you probably didn't see. But that's okay. I actually think that being a comic lets Connor Stickschulte do some really innovative things with graphical storytelling. Ultrasound is a story of a man named Glenn who, gl- who gets a flat, who glets a fat tire, who gets a flat tire on a stormy night, finds a house owned by a man named Arthur and his wife, Cindy, who offer him shelter. And then Glenn ends up sleeping with Cindy, as you do. That's the beginning. And from there, it gets stranger, because even after Glenn leaves a house, it's not at all clear what happened that night. And what begins as a psychological thriller about gaslighting and the ephemerality of memory soon transitions into a political thriller and... Well, let's just say Ultrasound is a really surprising book. But does it work? Do we even know what it is about? Do we know what happens? I guess maybe we'll find out. So, Roman, what did you think? I liked the promise of this book. From the get-go of you saying, Roman, this is a weird one, read it. I'm now conditioned to be excited. (laughs) I don't know if that's a (laughs) post-hypnotic suggestion. But then you look at the cover And it's this woman with all these like weird deformed faces coming out of her face. So, okay, this could be cool. It opens on a bar and two dudes telling stories as they do at bars. And it's interesting. And the story that you kind of laid out, that's interesting. And then the follow up. This is a little stalker psycho. You know, was it a con? Okay, still interesting. (laughs) And you're only about a third of the way (laughs) into the book. (laughs) And then it just gets confusing. Not in a, like, I couldn't follow along. I mean, there were some moments where I couldn't follow along with the plot, but I think there's far too many twists and turns in this book. And I could have dealt with just maybe three twists and turns, not five. And a bigger, overarching, post-hypnotic conspiracy. So, I don't know, man. I mean, I'm I'm glad I, you get me to read weird shit like this, but they shouldn't have made it into a movie. 
or maybe they should have. I, I don't know. What about you, man? How did yeah, you find I, this thing? I was just, I was in the strand and I just happened to pick it up because the cover was just so striking and I read the description of it and it was just seemed so weird. I was like, well, how would he get to, you know, I, I don't want to say where he ends up going, but how would he, how would he end up getting there? So, uh, Here's, here's the description in the back of the book. Following a strange sexual encounter, Glenn and Cindy become entangled in a web of gaslighting, mind control, deception, and political intrigue in this dizzying thriller. And I was like, that is so fucking weird and crazy. I just have to read it. And even when I picked up the book and flipped through the pages, Stick Schulte uses a bunch of different techniques. The pages don't all look the same. Like there are, you know, the colors change. Like sometimes they're, he kind of uses these sort of turquoise tones. Sometimes he uses these pink tones. Sometimes he like, it's just black and white or blue and black white. and white yeah. or blue and white. And he'll sometimes he'll just draw over the over, you know, like like he'll like he'll scrub out the dialogue. Right. And then rewrite the dialogue and you can see the erase marks and all of that is intentional. And I actually kind of I, I agree with you. Like, I, I think from a story standpoint, it he he doesn't know where to go with it. He sets up a lot of really good pieces and he doesn't know where to go with it at the end. Like the political thriller stuff could have kind of gone without. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it almost uh, like it lands so flat. Yeah, it, it kind of pays off in the last panels of the entire book. But you're like, you didn't earn this. No, I, I actually have some thoughts about why it doesn't work. But I will say what I did like about ultrasound, I really, really liked. And one, what I really liked about it is how it's how it plays with memory and how ephemeral it is and how inconsistent it is. And, you know, partially it's because these characters are being actively brainwashed and hypnotized throughout the book. And I really like how Steck Schulte sort of suggests that. The way he kind of will overlay different drawings on top of each other. The way, as I mentioned earlier, he'll write the dialogue and then, and then like erase it. And you see the erased dialogue and then you see the dialogue that he, that he's, that he's the, the memory that's it? been laid over it, right? The memory right. that's been laid over it. And I've never seen anyone really kind of convey hazy, fuzzy, possibly incorrect and inconsistent memories the way he does. And so that, that was actually really thrilling to me. It was sort of like, I felt like I was myself sort of hypnotized in reading this book and trying to follow the, the story. And then, at least in the beginning, when he started to put pieces together, like who is Arthur really? Who is, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I, that, that was always, that was sort of like, oh, okay, that's the nature of this character. I found that really gratifying. And uh, and so, yeah, so so because of that, I, I was really kind of perpetually engaged in the book, even when the plot started to make, I, I don't want to say less sense, it just became less interesting. Well, no, you know, it's funny in the middle of the book, once you realize there is a conspiracy, never mind yeah. a political thriller. That was really intriguing. That was the stuff movies are made of. But I feel like, again, maybe Connor kind of didn't know where he was going with these things, but they, they start to unpack the, the backstory of some of the characters as teenagers, which didn't really add up to anything useful, even for like the post hypnotic suggestions. And so there were things, there were straws that were laid out that you were, you know, you read in good faith and you hope they're going to pay off into something and they don't really. Yeah. They don't really contribute to the motivations. And so I think you could probably have trimmed a third of this out and still kept the winding and twisting journey because that other stuff just confused you in what was already a confusing and winding Chris Nolan style plot, you know? 
Yeah, the the ther you the, you mentioned backstories. So like the the therapist or the fake therapist, who's I just I was just talking about all the high school sexual hijinks. That's what I mean. Like, would you get her backstory? Right, you get her backstory yeah. as a sort of outcast in high school, and when you first meet her, you don't know why you're getting introduced to this strange teenage character and why and it's confusing because some, you know, for a lot of moments you can't tell that you're being flashed back yeah i think there were some there, yeah there were some times where i had to kind of like sit there and be like so am i going backwards in time am i going what's happening but yeah it, eventually you can kind of figure it out and i'm not i'm not actually sure if that's intentional i do think that works in favor of the book because there's always this sort of sense of what's real and what's not but I think, you know, the fact that so much time is devoted to this therapist character and her high school years makes less sense because even though she is a character who affects things, especially at the end, she's not she really she's not really a person whose journey we're interested in, whose emotional well, psychological at, journey at, we're at interested the, in. At the beginning of the story, you're like, who is this person? You typically start with a character like that in the present and then get the backstory. You're, I think to your point, I as of this recording, I'm now realizing that was one of the flashback characters was the therapist, not Cindy. Like, I thought all the mm. backstory was about Cindy. You know, another thing that really kind of bothered me, in, given the political climate, Arthur kind of reminded me of Steve Bannon, <laughs> visually, and the creep factor. So, you know, there's that. Oh, that's that's interesting. I never, I guess he does, he does look a little bit like, like Steve Bannon, but he seems more jovial. I think there's like a sort of like a boyishness to his to his look that kind of belies how insidious and dangerous he actually is. I, I do like the creepiness of Arthur because of course sneaks, you do. Of course you do. <laughs> it sneaks up on you. He doesn't, you know, and, and it's sort of like, he seems sort of hapless at first and he is, he's both hapless and he's, he's only, really he's only, he's only hapless at the beginning. The minute he comes to the main dude's like apartment, like, yeah, you're, you're in, Creep, creep factor 1000 like oh yeah yeah yeah. i mean he kind of goes between the two but you don't he doesn't seem he doesn't you know when you first see him he doesn't seem like a threat at all in fact when he's just begging glenn to sleep with his wife cindy it almost seems sort of pathetic of course you know there's there's an ulterior motive that he's that he's working on that eventually we we start to see but another example like when he hypnotizes this woman because you know, she's she's trying to quit smoking and she thinks hip, hypnotism is going to be her, you know, is going to be the way she can stop smoking. But instead, he's hypnotizing her to, hey, give up your dreams of going to med school or grad school or whatever and just be happy being a housewife. Like shit like that is just like it's just it's just really creepy the way it just kind of sneaks up on you. It's not something that, you know, you expect and and. And you realize how much, how how both kind of controlling and, and misogynistic, you know, what he's doing is in those moments, even though it's not like blatantly aggressive. Have you ever been hypnotized, Ryan? No, I've seen, I, we actually, so we had a high school hypnotist come by. I was in the audience though, watching my, some of my fellow classmates get hypnotized. And that was, that was a little bit unusual. Wait, have you, have you been hypnotized? No, and this book further ensures that I never will be <laughs> because because that's the fear, right? What Arthur does to these people, like I years ago there was a Groupon for like you know a hypnotist to like eat and be more healthy, right? That was just like a thing, and I bought the Groupon because like oh, okay, that's kind of a easy thing to do, and the fear of 
I'm going to go into this room and this guy could like do other things to me, like plant suggestions that will change the course of beyond what I am paying him to do. So yeah, no, fuck no. This is like a dangerous power and this guy is evil. So no, no, no. And it gets even creepier in some of the memories where you like show him hypnotizing people and their heads being super big, because I think that's supposed to evoke something else that's going on with them in the hypnotism. I just, Oh man, this, it, it gets under your skin in a bad yeah, way. Yeah, oh, that's actually, oh, see, I think that's, I, see, I like it. I like that. I, I like <laughs> the way the book gets under your skin and just kind of sticks there. And you're just like, oh my God. It's just this really kind of quietly awful world that Connor Stickschulte has created. And, you know, for me, I was just kind of, even despite all of the narrative, like, I don't want to use the word flaws. Let's just say the narrative decisions that don't work i still was sort of thinking a lot about this book even after i closed it at the end and so so it kind of retained this well his hypnotic power were you hypnotized by this book Ryan? (laughs) in a way yeah i was and i think i think you know a lot of you know i i definitely was particularly in the first half of it and i think that is kind of like a really cool power of of Stick Schulte's graphic storytelling. Like, you know, he really actually kind of creates that feeling of unease, that feeling of being in this strange dream world, this hypnotic world where you're not sure what, what, what's up and what's down. You're not sure if your perceptions of anything are correct. And oftentimes we, as you kind of immerse yourself in this narrative, your perceptions are not correct. They're completely, they're completely wrong. And I really, really love that. And so that actually is one of the reasons why I was so disappointed with, you know, the kind of the polit- conventional political thriller. It's a conspiracy ending because it gave a very mundane explanation to everything that is happening. And I feel like everything that he sets up, it kind of I, I kind of suspect he probably didn't know quite how to how to end it or how, how to stitch these pieces together. Because like the real drama is between Arthur Glenn and Cindy. And once you start introducing shadowy government people and all that stuff into into the it's just like you lose the power of Arthur as a villain. You lose the power that, you know, Arthur has this, this weird power over Glenn and Cindy that's so shadowy and ugly and evil. And once he's no longer in the picture, which he isn't in the last like third, I mean he's there but he's his story doesn't matter. You, it suddenly it's it's it seems like it seems like you've replaced him with a less interesting villain without actually resolving what right, Arthur did, exactly. and that exactly. was frustrating exactly. to me. And I mean, you get to kind of you know the motivations or what kind of actor Arthur is, what he's participating in, maybe who's underwriting his work for political gain, but it's just they're not as interesting. Too, they're very yeah, it's too little right? too late. It's it's too little too late. Like that's not the real motivation of this yeah. guy. I mean. Again, that's that's where Steve Bannon's more interesting than Connor. Or than yeah, Arthur. Arthur's motivation is actually for me. It's like, well, what did he want with Cindy? I mean, obviously, what does he want with Glenn? What is his game? It is. It's actually never really clear, but you keep guessing at it. Versus the the doctor, I forgot his name, who who's kind of running the hypnotic exper- experiments and inviting these defensive contractors over. Who was uh, Arthur's former partner? His motivation is much is very very clear and it's very much very conventional, right? It's like I'm kind of creating this program and it's going to be weaponized and these are my guinea pigs and now they have to escape. You've seen that story before, but the Arthur story, the Arthur Cindy Glenn story, I'd never seen before, and that's why I was again why I was so disappointed why he never really why Stechschulte never really resolved it 
Mm. on those terms and instead went to something that was a lot more like conventional. Mm. Uh, So you said you picked this up off the shelf. I assume you read it once, then you recommended it to me and you read it again. So now upon your second reading, knowing, I mean, did, did the plot stitch itself more closely together once you kind of knew what to be looking for? the second time yeah it, it, well, you, yeah because I, I mean even the first time i had to read it like i went back and reread things and when you reread things reread the, the the text you kind of understand the connections between the characters a little bit better like but did they did it hang together then a little better no because like the plot is still <laughs> the plot, the plot. <laughs> like, like the plot is still like like fundamentally he he takes a detour that i don't think he should take and i don't do you think, think he any... was making this up as he went along like there was no outline he's just kind of like almost like improving the whole way like drawing the pages as he was writing so them. he he actually read the the book and or read the book he actually wrote the book while the movie was being made i think the movie was finished and then he finished writing the book so there is this sort of the movie did actually influence some of what he wrote in the book so i i do kind of get the sense that yeah he was kind of making it up as he as he went along and i, I don't think that's that's uncommon i mean he might have had a direction as to where it was gonna go he's like george r, r. martin okay you know what i mean it makes sense though right because like it definitely feels like towards the end when he's trying to wrap things up, it just kind of falls into the normal, you know, the psychologist is trying to, it's like, I'm going to get, I'm going to get these people out of here. I'm going to spring them loose. And, you know, she does it, but it, it really kind of becomes the a usual, the usual kind of hijinks and, you know, with the great escape. And I kind of feel like maybe Stick Schulte was kind of falling back on stories that are all very well trodden in order to wrap it up. Because, yeah, I, I, I actually, that's, that's, that's my biggest disappointment, that he couldn't wrap it up, you know, kind of on the same terms that he opened, you know, he, he opened it in, in this very strange place, and he, and he ends it in a place that's a little bit more mundane, but much more like Manchurian Candidate, honestly, mm. at the mm-hmm, end, mm-hmm. which I'm like, ah, uh, you know, but that's not what we were promised in the beginning. Have you seen the film? I haven't. I, 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 read, I, I watched the trailer, though. It seemed, I, I don't, I don't, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the movie follows the book to a T, but, or maybe considering that the end of the book was written after the movie, maybe the book follows the movie. I don't know if I want to see the movie. I, the, the trailer, well, made you it know, I'm looking like... it up. It, it got a pretty decent, you know, 79% on Rotten Tomatoes, 69% audience score. So both critics and audiences liked it. And I mean, the, the, the score on Goodreads for this is pretty good too. And I was looking up the rest of his work, it's his highest rated work probably because more people have heard of it because of the movie. But I, I don't, I, I don't see, I mean, I, I see the appeal, but I don't get the appeal. What do you mean by that? Like you don't get the appeal. Is it, is it just like that? Like you didn't like the feeling of, of the book as you were reading it? No, no, it's, it, it's the mechanical stuff that we're picking apart. Like I, this looks great. It, it looks great on the bookshelf. It's fun to flip through. It's, it's a new idea. It's swinging for the fences. It just, it doesn't pull the pieces together well. Like it's it's actually like the weirdness is not the upsetting thing. You know, I used to say with certain films, 
whether or not I liked it, if it moved me, if it disturbed me, if it made me cry, if it made me happy, if it evoked if a piece of art can evoke a feeling, it's probably pretty good. But I think, believe it or not, through this podcast, our conversations really have me thinking more critically about the story and the characters, more yeah. than disregarding all of the other things, the, how it makes you feel, etc. It's just like, if there are some things that are broken, it, they're just broken. You know? Yeah, so um, I think that's... That feels like the difference between, like for me, I kind of really, really like this book despite how broken the narrative is at the end. Mm. And, you know, for me, that that I was able to kind of like just pull, you know, really enjoy it for, for just the feeling that he. Yeah, he but, but to me, it's like I, the feeling great, but the feeling, there's no, evoking the feeling isn't worth it if there's not a payoff in terms of the delivery of the plot and the characters. Like, it's fine. You, you, you manipulated my emotions book. But you left me wanting and not in a good way. Yeah, see, I don't always agree with that. I, sometimes I do, right? I, I guess it kind of mm. depends. If, if I open the book and I think, oh, this is going to be like a really heavily plot-driven book and there's going to you're promising a great twist at the end, do kind of really want to see like a really solid conclusion. But on the other hand, mm. if you're giving me a book and it's going to be like Arkham Asylum or something like that, where it's all atmosphere, you're going to plunge me into this nightmare scape or this dream world or whatever... But so, be... That book has a very linear plot, though, or a two, a two two linear plot. You know, it's pretty straightforward. But even this one, it's it's sort of when you I'm, you could kind of describe the plot in in a sentence or two. I mean, you wouldn't get all the twists and turns, but essentially, what is what what's the what's the conspiracy? Well, you know, I don't want to give away spoilers, even though we typically do. But you know, it's 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 pretty it's honestly pretty straightforward, and that's actually what what is disappointing is how straightforward the plot ultimately turns out to be. But I feel like. You know, on the way there, there are all of these details. I mean, okay, creep factor aside, I think there are all of these really interesting details in terms of how the characters interact that makes it really, really, like, just fantastic. Just scene by scene. Like, when Arthur is trying to persuade Glenn to sleep with Cindy, and Arthur's like, oh. Or Glenn's like, what? Which is, you know, which what, what, what you would do. You know, I, I was always kind of wondering how the fuck, you know, this guy's at this house. These people have like welcomed him into his home. How do you get from there to him sleeping with the wife? Like that's just a weird scenario. And the way Steck Schulte has it, it actually makes hypnotism notwithstanding. The way the dialogue plays out, you can kind of see why a guy like Glenn would be convinced by a guy like Arthur to go try to sleep with Cindy and then I think, why I think a woman play, like Cindy would actually be like okay with it, at least on the surface. It, 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 on the surface, it plays out in a comic book in the written form, but to see this acted out, I don't think it could play out. I mean, again, why I'm curious if you've seen the film and like, how would that? How would that? Because by this point, you don't know hypnotism is part of the book when that moment happens. You think it's just kind of this weird situation that you think it's going to be this, you know, stalkerish situation that happens afterwards and that's obviously not what happens but you can you see the setup for a dip, a certain movie and that's definitely not the movie that plays out which is fine but anyway the point is when written down it works would that scene actually play out with that like i don't think i'd be as convinced if i saw that scene i depend i mean it, it really depends how how the actors play it but yeah you know when i was reading it i'm just i was you're like, was, yeah that I checks out <laughs> and, then, and then even even other things sort of like when he goes in and they, they're like they, they're having sex but they're tr really more like trying to have sex it's like the worst most kind of pathetic sex ever you know i thought that was just really you know you never see a sex scene quite that 
pathetic, I guess. You usually don't see that, you don't see that sort of thing sort of play out. And so there's this awkwardness afterwards and the sort of humiliation and emasculation. And I, I, I again, I, that, that's just, it feels like a very, it just feels like a very unusual depiction of this tryst that you don't expect. And it also feels very honest. Like this is of course how Glenn would, would have sex in this, in this situation. And so like there are these character details like really throughout the book that these really tight taut interactions that I felt really kind of elevated it even as the plot itself was you know becoming less and less interesting. You know it's funny shifting gears to the art a little bit. The art is beautiful. Oh yeah. Uh, but 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 there are a few things that kind of left me wanting that again where I think the plot dismantled it. Again, there's a lot of different color gradations and very few sections where you see the colors mixing because that's probably where the memories are overlapping. But it feels like there was a system to certain colors indicating certain situations, certain time periods. It just it just wasn't apparently obvious. So that was thing one. Thing two was when this book centers on three, maybe five characters total, you can kind of hunt along with this. But mm some of the characters aren't discernibly different enough. So the, just, just from a pure illustration standpoint, it gets confusing as you start to introduce other plot elements. And so uh, the art, while simple, beautifully simple, it creates a little bit more confusion. And maybe that is the feeling of unease that you're supposed to have with, wait, is this a memory? Is this real? Is this the past? Did this happen? Because that's what this whole book is about questioning memories and memories being manipulated. Yeah. I, well, I, th- I think Cindy, Arthur and Glenn are also very clearly illustrated. They all have very distinct features that even when Cindy's a high school student, it's easy to tell, you know, by the color of her hair and the shape of her nose, that it's the same woman that we see later on as an adult. But I, I also, I do agree with you. Like, like again, when, when it's just those, when it's just centered around those three characters and their relationships with each other, I, I think that's when the book is, it, it's really the, the tightest, right? And it's really, you know, just emotionally, it's the tightest as well, because you've got these three characters who who are just like brought together and they don't really want to be together. And the only reason Glenn and Cindy are together is because they're both afraid of Arthur. And again, you know, I said this before. Hell, I'm afraid of Arthur. Everyone's afraid of Arthur, right? When Arthur is the villain and he's just kind of this j- jovial, malevolent presence in the background and he's trying to talk to you and you realize that he, when he talks to you, that's when he's the most dangerous. What an interesting character. And, and again, what, what kind of a disappointment when he, that he's no longer the main threat when he, did you ever read, of- I'm guessing you saw the Netflix series, Jessica Jones, but did you read the original comic alias by Brian Michael Bendis with the purple man? I didn't know. Yeah. I mean, again, that guy has superpowers, but it's not not dissimilar from Arthur's gadgetry, right? It's like mm. when you talk to this guy, he's at the most dangerous. Don't talk to this man. Yeah, yeah. I lo- how so how does how does the Purple Man compare to Arthur? I mean, the Purple Man has superpowers, right? Well, well aside but, from that, but aside yeah. from like Arthur, kind of does also, right? He's got the hypnotism. So in I mean, way, the, be- the best, the best. The, this I think the Purple Man is better because the best villains, and this is cliche, but the best villains don't think they're villains. Right. And he and the purple man, he knows he's up to no good. But he's like, what else do you expect me to do with this power? You would do this with this power. That's kind of how that's kind of how he behaves. And I think it's David Tennant. Is that correct? Like, yeah. Uh, place the... Yeah. Acts it to a T. Arthur's portrayal 
I mean, there's just some procedural elements to Arthur as you go further in with like the bigger conspiracy and, you know, he's got to rent an office and he's talking to the politician. I'm just like, again, at least when Steve Bannon got administrative duty, he was still like an agent of chaos. Well, it feels like, I mean, I think that's what to to our point, like what you're responding to, it feels like is, is like Arthur isn't complete as a character, as a villain, right? He doesn't follow the arc all the way through, so we never really know what's making him tick. You know what makes the Purple Man tick because he's the villain throughout Jessica Jones. Arthur Mm -hmm. is not the villain throughout Ultrasound, and actually he just becomes a side character. He's a a cog in the wheel of this bigger political thing, right? Right, he no longer has any... Once Cindy and Glenn are remanded into custody by the shadowy government organization, Arthur loses all power over them. Like he, he basically he's gone from as a threat and his only role in the story is to sort of be this sort of side character and sort of fill in some of the background in terms of how this hypnotism is used versus yeah, he's literally a tool like right. uh, he's just he's a cog in the machine versus the purple man is the villain all the way through. He is the the, the head bad guy. And, and I think that's that was that's Dick Schulte's mistake. He should have stuck with Arthur as the villain mm. and somehow just, you know, fuck. The, I mean, if you want to. If you want to have the shadowy government organization, keep them in the background. Um, there, I actually really like the shadow, or, no, or, or never reveal anything about them. Just right. show that there's some organization and some I machination actually, that he yeah. serves at the pleasure of. Right. So actually, one of my favorite scenes was when they are Cindy and Glenn are in the diner. This is right before they're picked up. Cindy and Glenn are in the diner, and there's these people in this van are are listening in on their conversation. This is about page 126, 125, 126. And you have Cindy and Glenn having this very kind of mundane conversation in the diner. And then suddenly you hear, you know, their dialogue starts to break up. It's like, Glenn, you're... And then it's yep, just, it's yep. just so weird. And so it's like, what the hell is going on? And then you realize, oh shit, these, they're being, what you're hearing is how, is how they're being heard in, in a van that's surveilling them. And that was, I thought that was like a really unusual and really cool and creepy and, you know, way of of depicting this government organization. And it's totally in keeping of this, of this book. And then of course they reveal who the government, what what this organization is, what they're, what they're doing and all. Yeah. And it just becomes less scary. And it becomes, and it becomes less scary, but that's, you know, if if he had kept that sort of vibe going throughout where you're never sure who's listening and what their motivation is. And whether they're affiliated with Arthur or not, that would have been, you know, it's, it's just this it's Dick Schulte's, you know, I don't know, his does desire or his need to answer all of the questions that he sets up. But the only questions we really need to answer is what's going on between Arthur, Cindy, and Glenn? And how does that resolve? And everything else is just a distraction. Unfortunately, the distraction takes over. So what are you going to do? So I, not my last question, but I actually do have an important question to ask about this book, Ryan. What important question is that? Would you read something else by Connor Stickschulte? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. He's a really interesting creator. Yeah, uh, I've been I've, as while we've been talking, I've been kind of looking up the other stuff that he's created, and I'm, I'm intrigued, right? Because maybe he didn't hit it out of the park with this one, but he clearly has it in him to do this. And it's weird because you read the back of this book, and I'm very, I'm very distracted right now. But it says it was listed as one of comic comics beat 100 best comics of the decade. So now I'm genuinely curious, like what else is on this list? But also, what else has he done? You know, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm genuinely intrigued of, of kind of 
the company this book keeps. Yeah, he's just got a very interesting aesthetic, a very interesting sensibility. And I, you know, I, I, I think if if he kind of gets away from some of his more conventional instincts, or maybe let's not say get away from them, but he doesn't fall into that trap of trying to wrap things up in a very conventional way. He could have this book could have really been a masterwork. But I, I really, I mean, I know you're going to ask, would I recommend this book? And the answer is always is is yeah, for sure. Despite you know knowing its problems, I would recommend it. I you know in I actually think, um, you know the the problems with the ending it kind of just serves as a stark contrast. It's almost sort of like a learning, sort of like a a learning moment where you're like, oh, that's this is what kind of not to do. But all that being said, I, I feel like what what works works so well, and it's so unusual and intriguing that. I'm still thinking about it. I, I said this before, but I'm, I'm still thinking about it. You know, even after I close the book, would you? Would you recommend it? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually, because never. It's not because of the creep factor. It's just the creep factor. It, it doesn't earn its keep, man. I mean, it's fun. I, I guess get it from the library, you know, and read it on a on a lazy Sunday, or you know, get a butt while drinking at night. Read it in one sitting, but just I don't know, man. Left it left me wanting, and it's not because it, it left me wanting because it told me everything, mm. and it told me shit yeah, I didn't need to hear. Yeah, yeah, it does. It it definitely he he over he definitely does that. I I cannot dispute that. But I genuinely want to read he, something else by him. I genuinely want to read something else by him. If he had kept this between Glenn, Cindy, and Arthur, I, I'm just curious. I mean, I, I, do you think that would have changed your read on the? I mean, obviously, a lot is we're, we're kind of like guessing here because, and we're also kind of in the dangerous territory of reviewing the book that we wish he had written, but would you, do you think that would have changed your perception? Yeah, no, I, I think it would have been a tighter story and it would have, it, I wouldn't have known everything that was going on. I would have been left more un, at unease on like, what the hell is going on? I, I remember in high school, I actually wrote a short story where I, and I thought it was great. Everyone else was frustrated with it because I didn't explain <laughs> what the motivation of the characters was. It was just, it was the mystery box, right? And that's the most interesting thing about it. Being unsettled and not knowing why and being scared that, you know, is Flowers by Irene listening in on your conversation, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's always good to have a healthy disagreement, Roman. Or maybe we did agree on everything. Who knows? Memory is crazy that way. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Jones.